22 straight months of 5 plus percent inflation that has put additional pressure on your future. On top of this, the banking crisis made people question the ability of the system to uh, waver in this war. People are sick and tired of inflation and the instability of the U.S. government. As one economic watcher notes when asked with the question, why are so many countries all of a sudden turning away from the United States dollar and using the Chinese currency to buy their essential commodities? Why is the world de-dollarizing so quickly? Their answer follows. The setting of a world war and everything starting which began with Russian sanctions. As soon as countries started seeing that we were going to war with China and we were already in a war with Russia, that the United States of America and other Western countries pivoted away from a general universal capability for Russia to continue economically, even though it was going to war, those countries got scared because they started to ask themselves, well, what happens if I do something that America, IMF, the uh, Federal Reserve, doesn't like me doing? And then they will be sanctioned and they will be set into an economic downturn. Russia is the largest single commodity producer, not just in the region, but in the entire world. They have oil, they have gas, they have agriculture, they have minerals, and they have much more. Because of the sanctions, Russia cannot take dollars or euros for sales of their commodities. The sanctions disconnected Russia from the SWIFT banking system and meant that Russia wasn't able to pay for things the way that they would and to buy with dollars. So know. why would Russia take dollars for their commodities? And that caused other they countries to say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't either. Dollar assets got confiscated by the Western world. Why would they hold dollars? Why would China, why would India hold on to these dollars that can be up and taken away? You started to see the actual people, the puppeteers who control the strings behind government say, wait a second, I don't want them taking my $500 million yacht away. I'm moving my money somewhere else. And they started to harden their defenses against what America could do. And this caused a general wave against the U.S. dollar and against America. So because of these sanctions, Russia started this de-dollarization and it was picked up quickly around the world, much in the way that hype can drive people towards buying something like Bitcoin. Look at how many people bought in at $50,000 and lost everything that they owned. Russia, of course, needs to continue trading in the international sphere because it has to acquire things that it can't produce at home. These are the surplus commodities. These acquire foreign, uh, these require foreign money. Apart from the West, Russia is a major trading partner with countries like India and China and Africa, uh, African nations. This makes sense because Russia sells their commodities in yuan and oh. rupees. They sell their agriculture. They sell their gas. They sell their oil in yuan. They buy Chinese goods with yuan. Same thing goes with the rupee in India. Now we have all of these countries basically saying, you know what? It was hard at first. We no longer need you, America. We no longer need the dollar. And in their trading in yuan and rupees and these other currencies, it became smarter to hold other money away from the USD. Now, you and I are still probably getting paid in something that is backed by the United States dollar as a reserve currency of the world. 
but de-dollarization and a reinforcing cycle that is becoming uh, building upon itself means that more and more countries are starting to say, we want something better. We want something more. China and Russia seized this opportunity and they said, we're going to create a new currency that is not backed by fiat money, not backed by fake ideas. Instead, it's backed by gold, backed by silver, and backed by other commodities, actual physical, tangible things that are necessary in the world. Let me ask you a question. As a viewer of this channel, would you rather hold on to and get paid in something that can have its value go away in the instant that somebody loses confidence in it? Or would you rather get paid in something that is the equivalent of 100 copper pennies? That's how the United States dollar used to be. It was the equivalent of that. I can take $1 and I can get 10 actual silver dimes. I can take $1 and I can get 100 actual copper pennies. It was backed by that physical precious metal. Why is that important? Because when confidence would be lost in this paper, I instead could go to a farmer. I could go to somebody else and I could say, you know what? I have 100 bits of copper that I want to give to you. And he would say, no problem. Now, if you don't travel around with your fake money, you're nothing. These other countries are taking up on this. And me personally, I would love to have a currency that was actually valued and backed by international commodities trade. And I would like to hold those commodities that have their assets inside of actual revolving currencies. With trade de-dollarization, there's so much more going on. There's no more demand, or there will not be any more demand for American domestic uh, inflationary measures. The Federal Reserve, the IMF, they're all just going to continue piling on debt. The Fed is going to be forced to just print and print and print. And what's that going to do? That's going to lead to hyperinflation. That's why when you see videos of Venezuela, you see videos of different uh, African countries, you know how the uh, gangsters in America and, and people who are uh, you know, trying to flex and show that they're, uh, you know, they're worth more than everybody else, they'll hold up a stack, and I've got a pack of batteries here, uh, you know, they'll hold up a stack of you know, $100 bills or like you know, 10 stacks of $100 bills and, and they'll hold them up to their face with their you know, big gold grills showing. And that's like a flex, it's them showing, look what I've got. But, in other countries like Venezuela and in uh, African nations, it takes that whole flex, that stacks and stacks of hundreds, just to buy some bread, buy a little bit of sugar, make a payment to the electrical company. It takes stacks and stacks and stacks of that money that it used to take just one sheet of paper to do. So would you like to hold your money in something that will be hyperinflated in the future? A lot of other countries are saying that they will not. So they're moving away. China's taking full advantage of this because China knows that it is in a war with America. It's just starting soft. It's just the whispers right now. China announced that it is preparing for physical, kinetic war with other countries. This is a shift in China's considerations and their policy making and business leading that the world can't afford to ignore anymore. During the meeting of China's parliament and its top military advisors, this happened in March, the Chinese president started to weave the threads of new war preparations in multiple different speeches. One instance, he said that the generals need to be prepared and dare to fight. 
The government announced a multiple percentage point, almost 10% increase in the Chinese defense budget, which doubled over the last decade. This might sound like a lot of figures and, uh, you know, behind the scenes math to a lot of people watching. But you have to understand that in order to go to war with Ukraine, what did Russia have to do first? They bought a whole bunch of gold. They told their citizens to prepare for a year without access to food and water, to get your survival bags ready. They started moving the weapons of war toward the battlefield. They did this all under guises of uh, you know normal readiness routines and military preparations. Then they moved the nurses and they moved the doctors and they moved the blood that would be used to help the soldiers on the battlefield. If you would have just picked apart any one of those things before, you would have said it's really a nothing burger, it's no big deal. But because you have the perception and the capabilities to see all of these different pieces of the puzzle, you're able to look at these events and say, all Saudi Arabia moving to one, India paying in rupees, China moving uh, their currency over into a commodity-backed currency. You can see all these pieces of the puzzle together and you can start to say, oh my gosh, this is absolutely a war that is being won by a country or a group of countries that is not America. And what does that mean for you and me? That means our whole world is about to change. And in fact, Tiadwaki, you remember, the end of the world as we know it or knew it already took place. The Chinese government unveiled new military readiness laws in the country. New shelters were going to be built all across the region in preparation for their war with Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, and America. New national defense mobilizations and their offices started to be erected across the country. Developments, including China's call for war readiness, is a concern that global conflict is about to erupt. They say it's not imminent. They don't know when it's actually going to happen. But China's president says that the country is preparing for war and it would be foolish not to take him seriously. Recent speeches, recent military preps, these all indicate that there is a readiness, a willingness to use military force to achieve Chinese goals. In different meetings across the country and region, the National People's Congress and Chinese People's Political Consultative uh, Conference, also at those locations, they were suggesting that we were going to see a conflict, military conflict, in the coming months, maybe as long as a year from now. Now, what does that mean for you? Guys, if you could have gone back two years and said you have two years to get your house in order, what would you have done differently? I know for me, I would have immediately cut any unnecessary spending back in something like the year 2019, early 2020, and I would have started putting more, devoting more effort, you know, because we have this magic blend, right? You do your chores, you do your preps, and then you have fun. And so each one of us should, for the sanctity of ourselves, for uh, peace of mind, for the ability to understand how bad things really are and not be drowned by it, you have to have fun. And so many would have devoted a certain uh, budget, none of their budget, to fun. If you would have given me a heads up three years ago to where we are today, well, that budget for fun would have turned into what can I do for fun that is free and then shifting that budget over into preps and the things that were necessary. So you know right now that maybe you have six months, maybe you have 12 months, maybe 
some great uh, overseeing, uh, you know, power will come on and, and the hearts of men will be awakened to kindness and love and sympathy and empathy. We all know that's not going to happen. But let's just say, let's pretend for a moment that that could happen. What would you do different today? If you have 12 months to get ready, let me know down in the comments because a lot of other people are in similar positions to you. Maybe you are, you know, making 150 grand a year. Maybe you're making 15 grand a year. There's going to be thousands of people in our community right here that are making the same amount as you, applying it to the same things that you are. And we can brainstorm <laughs> together and talk about how to use mealworms instead of chicken feed for our uh, you know, chickens, how to ground up the eggshells. And sure, it's work and it's a burden, but you dry them out, you use the sun, you wash them, you grind them, you add that powder back into your chicken feed, and then you're giving them calcium with the mealworms and the uh, added calcium that they're getting. Mealworms are so cheap and easy to produce that everybody who has chickens should have them on uh, at a farming level in your shed or in your house somewhere getting it done. So what can we do as a community to get ready? We're seeing surveys uh, and essays from military strategists that are basically saying the United States of America is done. They've said in the face of wars that are imposed or to be imposed soon, we must speak with the enemies in languages they understand. and use victory to win peace and respect. This suggests that China views the United States of America as the adversary that it will fight in the coming months and years. The Chinese government has opened new national defense mobilization offices across the country and started building and upgrading its own air raid shelters, military nuclear preparations, wartime emergency hospitals. Chinese cities have prevented overseas IP addresses from accessing any government <laughs> websites, any parts of uh, corporations that have any part in this coming prep for war. In addition to this, the Chinese government has adopted new legal changes that are going to be used to target individuals who oppose a war with America and a war with Taiwan. The law governing military reservists and the decisions on adjusting the applications to certain age groups and demographics of the Chinese criminal procedural laws mean that China is getting ready. They're acting like Russia did before they went to war with Ukraine. They're moving everything around. They're building the underground shelters. They're getting the food ready. China recently told their citizens, get a year's worth of food ready. So if we see all these things happening on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to ask, why aren't you being told in America to do anything more than be a never-ending slave and consumer. They don't want you to own a home. They don't want you to have anything of your own. They want you to go to work and take your antidepressants or your mood stabilizers, drink at night, watch football, wake up, do it again. Pay your taxes, buy more, get the new iPhone, get the new Samsung, get a new car. Your old one might run fine, but maybe it won't. Buy those new appliances that are meant to break down in two years. Buy, consume, take so that they can take your life, your soul, and everything in between. At one point in time, people are going to stand up. They're going to have had enough of this. That's why so many people are trending terms like war, revolution. Something happened, guys, over the last couple of years, and everybody now has a vested interest in violent conflict. 
Everybody started thinking about how violent local areas were. Uh, local criminal activity started increasing. We started seeing governments and militaries getting ready. I think that we can take this all the way back to each previous biological threat. When you saw a new disease come across the world and uh, wipe in a wave across the world, that disease always predated an economic conflict, which always predated a world war or some sort of kinetic physical violence on a multi-governmental international scale. And because that has happened in ever since the Black Plague, you can go back and you can look and see the pieces of this. It's like a puzzle that only needed those three pieces, biological threat, new disease, economic uh, conflict, crisis, and war. It only needs three pieces of this puzzle, and we saw it happen again in the last couple of years. Now, instead of 19, uh, the, the early 1900s, when you had such slow-moving technology and slow-moving uh, information delivery, it took months to make changes that are being made on international scales in a near instant. We literally see and hear in near real time this war unfold. So I just hope that you and your family are getting ready. And we always have a great community here for questions and answers. The first question comes to us from Improving America's Homes. Question, what are your thoughts on stocking up copper that we break down out of things that we find on the side of the road? Kind of like stacking silver. So Kelly and I have, uh, I don't mind being a scrapper for electronics parts. And in fact, for a, a good bit of my life, I, I did that. I would go and pick up, uh, you know, broken parts and take out the capacitors and resistors and, uh, you know, the, the boards and everything else and make a pile. It's good to have a pile of those things because your TV might break because you're missing a, you know, a capacitor blue or your, uh, you know, microwave might blow because a resistor overheated. Uh, you know, there's so many different things that can happen. Power supplies, just everything. As far as, Viably removing copper to stack that, it's going to be very, very hard. It's going to be very chemical intensive. You're going to have a lot of uh, uh, personal health considerations that you'll have to make. I don't think there's enough copper in those items to do it. Taking wire, things like that, well, yeah, that will give you raw copper at that time. Uh, but the gold and uh, copper that's inside of uh, components, if it's worth it for you and it brings you peace, Absolutely do it. For me, I, I would say that your time that you'll invest into it could be invested into something that will return you either some sort of uh, money that you can turn right now into copper or gold, or it can be used in another way. I hope that helps, and I hope that you guys keep leaving questions so that we can keep answering them here. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, all of our members on Patreon, Make sure you check out contingencymedical.com and use the code FSS10 to get a discount there. You're going to get a discount on real antibiotics. So if you have uh, pneumonia, uh, if you uh, get you know, an infection in your hand and there's no doctors available, you'll have something you can use until you can get other medical help. Also check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. Use the code FSS15 to get a 15% discount. Honestly, guys, they said it was a temporary discount. It's usually only 10%. This just keeps working. If it works for you, please keep using it. I get no commission. The discount is there for you. So if you see it and it works, definitely keep using it. That's uh, nutrient survival. They have long-term food storage, meals that are ready to eat, things like that. 
It's a great site with great food. Please, everyone, no matter what, stock your pantry, uh, pantry and get ready for the future because times are changing. We hope to see you right back here tomorrow at Full Spectrum Survival on YouTube. Stay safe, keep watch, and good luck, everyone. As we enter into World War III with our eyes wide open, we can see that the economy is being targeted just like our future. Buying a home has now become a luxury that stands outside the reach for much of the majority. The percentage of income that is used on home payments by state uh, follows. California, if you have a job there, you're using 63% of your income on your home payment. In Montana, 50% of your income goes directly to your home. In Oregon, 49%. In Washington, 49%. In Idaho, 48%. Massachusetts, 46 Colorado, 46 Florida, 44 Utah, 44 New York, 43%. Nevada, 43%. We have this going on and on. There is so much of a person's income being spent just on their home. They literally have no money left. We stand at 30 states within the USA where residents are paying more than 30% of their annual income just to survive in a shelter. There is an unseen but basically magic triangle that exists in the preparation of a government for civil unrest. If enough of a person's income goes to their shelter, that's their home, their mortgage, their rent, whatever it might be, and then to their food and then to their electricity, if they have nothing left over after that, they riot. Mortgage demand stands right now at a 30-year low. Housing affordability worse than the last financial crisis, which saw multiple people in multiple generations lose their home to foreclosure. This is just getting started. NATO has officially banned all of its employees and contractors from downloading or using the TikTok uh, social media service on their devices. We saw a reporting outlet say that the ban was officially announced recently. NATO officials say that TikTok is no longer available on Alliance devices due to internal technical limitations. This is what we would expect to see as the uh, divide between the war in China versus NATO, China versus uh, America, really starts to heat up. The deputy chairman of the Russian Security Council has said, we understand that NATO's peacekeeping forces will enter the confrontation on the side of our enemy. What Russia is saying right there in plain English is that as peacekeeping forces begin to enter into the battlefield area, the country of Russia will see these forces as enemy combatants. They will be entered into this war. Banks are starting to rapidly tighten their lending standards. This makes uh, credit getting credit tougher. Uh, this makes access for businesses harder to come by. Every time that you've seen banks tighten this quickly, the economy has always headed into a recession. This happened in 1990. It happened in 2001. It happened in 2008. And right when the biological event took place in the year 2020. Chile has declared a preventative early warning alert for 13 regions in the country due to an outbreak of H5N1, that variation of the avian influenza virus. 
The World Health Organization has warned that as bird flu spreads, the risk of it spreading among humans is absolutely potentially growing. There's no reason to panic, says Sylvie Brienne, the director of the WHO's Department of Preparing for Infectious Risks. But here's what actually happens. When they tell you something's bad, a lot of people see that as a sign that maybe it's not so bad and there's reasons for telling you that. When they tell you not to panic, but they are moving all of these pieces around, what should you do? It's my suggestion to you to get ready for some sort of biological event. We have Marburg disease, something that makes people, 50 to 90% of them, bleed out through their organs, their eyeballs, their ears, their nostrils, and their mouths until they perish. We have H5N1, which stands with a 50%. 10 people get it, five of them drop out. Humans, they say that there's no reason to panic, but we have to be prepared. Beijing, that is China, has warned the United States of America that, quote, no individual or force can hold back China from achieving the goal of its national reunification with the country, as we see it, uh, of Taiwan. China's ready to go, and they're ready to die for what they believe in. The question is, can America fight Russia through NATO, China over Taiwan, and the rest of the world, like the Middle East for Israel? The IMF has approved a four-year, $16 billion program that gives a loan to Ukraine. This is as part of a global $115 billion package. Now, my question for you is why alone when America is just giving Ukraine your tax money? Now, the answer that you're going to start looking for is what is America going to get back in return if other outlets are only giving loans that will be paid back in interest? What is your tax money going towards? that you will never see that payback over. The Ugandan president and the president's son has said, call me a Putinist, if you will, but we, Uganda, will send soldiers to defend the country of Moscow if Russia is threatened by the imperialists. Who's the imperialists? You've got it right. It's America. Recently, the U.S. authorities urged all Americans to leave the country of Russia, quote, for their safety, saying that this is not the time for Americans to be in Russia. If you are in Russia now, whether it is on business or leisure, whatever kind of travel, you need to leave now. This is not a good place for you to be. Even if you are a working journalist, get out now. The quote continues that Russia is a hostile environment for all Americans. It's time to go if you are there. That was John Kirby, a spokesperson for the United States of America's National Security Council. A day earlier, the White House press secretary made a very similar statement saying that Russia is not safe for any Americans at this moment in time. That's because they expect an escalation here soon. El Salvador has eliminated all taxes, that's property taxes, capital gains taxes, import tariffs, income taxes. They have eliminated them on all technological innovations. That's things like artificial intelligence, applications, coding, software programming. They know that the next world war 
will be the one that is fought using a blending of technology. The number of renters that are earning more than 100, and get, I want you to listen to this, okay? Earning more than $150,000 per year. That's $15,000, give or take, per month. 15 grand a month. How many people watching this are earning 15 grand a month? The number of renters earning more than that has grown by almost 90% by the year, uh, since the year 2020. That's according to Rent Cafe and looking at other historical data. So people making 15 grand a month cannot even afford to fight against the hedge funds to buy a house. Why? Because there has been a push for you to own nothing and be happy. I've read these absolutely preposterous news articles written. You can just see the money flowing into them from hedge funds, from these organizations, just flowing into the news articles. It's almost like it's written, probably is written by AI. These news articles say how you have a happier life renting. You don't have all of the structured uh, responsibilities of being a homeowner. They're pushing for you to never own a thing in your life. You can never own a piece of programming. Why? Because organizations like Adobe have made, that, made it a rent-for-use service. Uh, you can never own a DVD. Now, instead, we'll stream that. And if you don't want to keep paying your streaming service, well, you're never going to watch that again. You won't own your home. You won't own a car. All of your purchases, your appliances, everything else, they are built to be destroyed. They are built to fail in a certain amount of time to keep you coming back and buying another one. Own absolutely nothing and be happy. How do they expect you to be happy? Don't worry, the doctor has a prescription for that. Everyone right now is beginning to question why after Western officials and the media say not to worry, they say, don't worry about the dollar. Don't worry about inflation. Don't worry about the Federal Reserve. Don't worry about the new taxes we're unloading. You see their military spending. They're fortifying their defensive positions. They're repositioning, uh, repositioning military groups. They're increasing military alliances. Why are they telling you everything is okay while they are running to the battlefield? Poland and South Korea have signed a contract that's going to establish a so-called consortium that's going to produce K2 uh, battle tanks and their components inside of Poland. Poland bought 180 tanks like this from South Korea. They plan to build the 820 modernized versions of the tank inside of Poland. This is a reawakening of the Indo-Pacific War. Outlets in the uh, region of Cameroon and Gabon I said they must scale up readiness in all prepara uh, preparatory activities to be able to detect, identify, and put to the side early cases of Marburg disease. The trend of an ongoing outbreak in Equatorial Guinea is worrying, they say, with new increased numbers being confirmed and new cases being reported. In regions like New Guinea, this is actually one of the worst places that you can expect this sort of outbreak to take place. It's not going to be caught on a scale once it becomes massively transmissible until it's too late. US social security funds are projected to be depleted 
gone by the year 2023. That's months, years, maybe even earlier than previous estimates. So why are they still taking your money out if they expect these funds to be gone by the year 2033? Uh, the German defense minister, Boris, has said that NATO countries are planning to send battalions of Leopard 2 tanks and battalions of Leopard regular tanks to Ukraine. They said it's unlikely at this point in time that more could be sent since allies have limited resources. We're seeing warnings all over the place right now that countries are behind the curve. They have to start making the weapons, making the ammo, making the tanks, making the armored vehicles, making the parts. And soon you're going to see the defense, uh, the defense orders take over national production to get this done. Russia's delegate to the United Nations has said that Washington has 150 tactical nuclear weapons that are located inside of Europe, and Russia sees this as an absolute threat to the country's stability and continuity. Erdogan of Turkey has said that Putin is able to visit the country in the month of April. In a commentary for ATV television in that channel in the region, Erdogan said that Putin may visit to take part in the opening of the first nuclear power plant that has been built by Rosatom that's inside of Turkey. He says Putin can fly in on the 27th for the opening ceremony, or he can attend the ceremony online. Erdogan has vowed to basically back up Putin, that they're not going to allow any sort of restrictive actions to take place on this president that is waging war, a so-called war against NATO. Now, there's a lot of headlines going around right now about countries moving away from the U.S. dollar. Over the past 25 years, that's a long time, a quarter century, the U.S. dollar's use in, reserve, uh, has, in reserves has been globally down from 72% to 59%. Now, there are some recent events taking place, and we're going to see a summary of what that might have in store for your future. This is absolutely important that you pay attention to this because the foreign exchange reserves and the uses in currency is going to be the next big deal. The USD is down from 72 to 59 percent since 1999. The euro up. Importantly, we see other currencies, including the won, soaring, surging from very low, 3, 4 percent to 10, 15 percent. According to IMF data and officials, Russia has nearly 33% of all of its reserves in one. This data at the end of 2021, so it's likely this is much higher now due to recent events, including cooperative events between Russia and China. The weaponization that is taking place against the dollar is taking an important shift right now. Just last week, China and Russia agreed to use the Chinese yuan as their settlements, uh, their currency for settlement. Trade data shows that a share of currency in Russia is uh, absolutely shifting away from anything attached to the United States dollar. Then the last week, we saw Russia announce that they're going to be using the yuan as part of their reserve currency. We have uh, the Russian president, Russian corporations, companies there issuing bonds in yuan worth the equivalent of billions of dollars USD per year. Russia is making the move. When they said that they were in it to the end, that they were going to be the new world economic order, 
the new world order, that they were going to do away with the imperialization of the United States of America, Britain, and European countries. This is absolutely what they meant. They are so prepared for there to be a massive change in your future that we can only hope we can do the things that we need to right now to get ready. Speaking of getting ready, we have a couple of viewer questions. The first one comes to us from Kim Stiles. Question, Brad, can you do a video on what the rules of war would look like for a civilian if a civil war was actually to happen? Because I don't understand the do's and the must do's uh, to keep my innocent family safe. All I know is I don't support the actions of government, and I want to know how and what my part could look like from Washington State. Please, Brad, be safe in your insight. Uh, it's very much needed. Thank you. God bless this mess. P.S. I don't think I got my last question addressed, so please address this one. If you can't talk uh, here, uh, you know, please tell everybody so that we can understand. So, yeah, what will an individual's part in, remember, over 60%, it's like 70% now, the American population believes that the Second World War has already started, that we've reached basically that cliff, that point of no return. There's no climbing back up. This is going to happen. That doesn't mean today people are fighting in the streets. It just means that all of the, uh, the things have been set on fire. We're just waiting for the, the massive, uncontrollable fire to take place. What's an individual's part going to look like in that? Well, I think we have to look at Syria. A lot of people got caught up because just like if you live on a street that is in gang-controlled territory, they're going to do everything they can to either make your life miserable or to make you choose their side. If you live in between gang territory, they're going to be buying for your for control over <coughs> you and your thoughts. You're going to have to choose a side. If you can do what you can to align yourself with a side that better fits your ideals, that might be something you want to do. Most importantly, I would say try not to choose a side. Remain as uh, in the middle, intermediate, uh, uh, intermediary as you can. That doesn't mean you don't stand up for what you believe is right. That just means that your preservation of life remains wholly in the, uh, in the reserving your actions to preserve your family. So you're going to focus just like the people in Syria did on food production or uh, food obtainability. You're going to focus on night watches. You're going to focus on limiting uh, travel through contested territory. Each one of those things is going to have a pretty pivotal part if a world, if a civil war really strikes up here in the country. I hope that that answers your question, Tim. Uh, if it doesn't, leave another one. Leave the word question first, and then either me or a member of our community, maybe a mod in the staff uh, or the group here, can actually take it up and get an answer for you. Please check back here tomorrow. More headlines from America and from around the world, the things that matter to you and your family. From mine to you and yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by each one of you, all of our members on Patreon. It's a, it's a new month, so you missed out on getting in to get sent out survival cards this month. But if you go to patreon.com forward slash full spectrum survival, you can join now, get a part in the community, and then next month you'll get the cards. Also, check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for a discount there on real antibiotics. They're not to be used now unless you need them, of course, under a doctor's care. They're to be used if you have an emergency and can't get to a doctor. They come with a pamphlet of like, you know, if this, this is the antibiotic you would take. Also, check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. 
Use the code FSS15 to get a 15% discount on real long-term food storage that they work hard to keep the nutrients in. But most of all, everyone, stock your pantry, get ready for the worst, hope for the best. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. As the greatest female collegiate basketball player ever, something happened that they hadn't counted on. The real greatest women's collegiate basketball player ever showed up and beat Caitlin Clark like a redheaded stepchild. LSU women's basketball team, which has never had a championship, has been on a roll this season, and leader of the pack was Angel Reese, who has been nicknamed Bayou Barbie. Now, we know the white media goes into hysterics whenever they see black people getting any sort of praise or honor, especially if it's a black person who's defining themselves on their own terms, because that's what power is. As far as they're concerned, you're supposed to have whatever nickname we saddle you with, whatever label we put on you. You're not allowed to define yourself, because we know that you're not going to define yourself as lesser than. When they saw this young black woman winning, beating other teams, and they saw that she was being celebrated by the fans, as opposed to Caitlin Clark, who is only a white media darling, they couldn't stand it. And so we've seen this sick torrent of racial abuse being hurled at the LSU team, especially Angel Reese in particular. But we all know it has absolutely nothing to do with any gestures or anything that she was doing on the court. Trash talking has been a time-honored tradition in sports, all sports, and women's sports is no different. Tennis players often taunt and lampoon each other on the court in public, though where Serena Williams is concerned, her white counterparts make certain to use especially racist ridicule. For the longest time, female athletes, including female collegiate athletes, have complained that they're not getting the same respect as their male counterparts. Well, there is a reason for that. Female sports overall and female athletes don't draw the same numbers as their male counterparts unless it's tennis. And that's only Serena Williams who can do that. And this disparity between viewership is especially pronounced when you look at women's basketball, be it collegiate or professional. This year, things have vastly improved, however, at least for women's basketball, with ratings for the NCAA Women's Championship game being 9 million viewers on ESPN alone and as high as 12 million on all platforms, which is an all-time high for women's basketball, period. And while it's true that the men's NCAA game this season outperformed the women's with a viewership of 14.7 million watching it on CBS, that is the lowest watch championship game in the history of men's NCAA basketball. So why was the men's basketball championship viewership so low? I'll say the suspense. The reason why is because it wasn't a compelling lineup. No great rivalry, no really standout players for that matter. And we saw the same thing with football too. This is what happens whenever you have a matchup that people are looking at and going ho-hum. This, however, was not the case with women's NCAA basketball this season. People were watching it, and they were very interested in seeing who was going to go up against who. The major criticism against women's basketball is that they don't have the same level of play as the men. The shooting percentages are far lower than the men's, and the games are nothing but a bunch of layups with a few three-pointers sprinkled in there. And from an objective standpoint, yes, it is true, the pace is slower. There's not the same explosive footwork, fast breaks, alley-oops, no-look passes, to say nothing of slam dunks. When you watch women's basketball, it's a totally different game from the men's. But then again, when you watch women's MMA, it's different too. It usually ends in a submission. There's almost never a first round knockout. Women's MMA is not about power. It's usually about grappling and outmaneuvering their opponent. I know it's odd to say, but women's MMA is probably the most graceful that combat sports ever gets. 
My point is, this is why for me, a one-to-one -one comparison of men and women's basketball is a pointless exercise, though there are some people who still try it. Besides, as was shown this year, if the women perform at a certain level, they don't have to do all the things that the men do. They just have to make it clear that they play with competence and with a requisite level of aggression. Nobody should expect the women to do the high-flying moves or anything that the men do, but what they have a right to expect is a more than basic level of play, which up until the last few years is what they've been getting. But there's also another aspect that needs to be addressed. The women's college basketball ratings this year were far higher than normal precisely because there seemed to be, as they say in professional wrestling, a real issue between the teams. It's the same reason women's MMA has done so well. Dana White borrowed heavily from Vince McMahon's playbook. That's why Ari Emanuel, who still hasn't come out of hiding yet, is going to buy WWE. In general, people will tune in to see two opponents face off against each other, though at best, that's only a display of skill and perhaps style. But far more people will tune in to see two people who have something personal against each other fight. Audiences want to know that there's something more at stake than just an athletic victory, that the athletes aren't just there because this is their job. That's why Ronda Rousey was a thing for a while. She trash-talked and all the rest of it. That's the part that trash-talking plays as far as building audience anticipation. Prior to athletes like, say, Muhammad Ali, the closest that you had to trash-talking was some guy out there saying, I'll beat so-and-so, or my name isn't Tommy Burns. By the way, Tommy Burns got the brakes beat off him by Jack Johnson. It wasn't until Muhammad Ali came along that trash-talking became an art, and people realized, hey, there's something personal at stake here. Even if it's only the one guy who has nothing but pure contempt for his opponent, the audience just wants to see him shut up. You hear pro athletes say all the time that the way to show your opponent respect is by showing them no respect. That means you bring it. You get in their faces. You put up maximum opposition. Athletes understand this principle, as do audiences. That's what sportsmanship is in professional sports. So if this has been going on all along, if Caitlin Clark was doing a you-can't-see-me-gesture-on-the-court long before Angel Reese, then why are we seeing white racist reporters suddenly displaying phony outrage over a black female player simply doing what Caitlin Clark did? And they're also showing phony outrage because she was miming putting a ring on her own finger. LSU's football players, white football players, by the way, have done that and nobody said boo because it's only wrong if black people do it. If black athletes are just sitting there, these racist white sports reporters will have something to say anyway. The racist Lena Dunham said that Odell Beckham Jr. made her feel uncomfortable because he didn't look at her. She went on this insane rant about all the things that she could just tell he was thinking because he didn't look in her direction. So all this is just white supremacists making stuff up, but since they own these sports leagues, the colleges, TV stations, and their surrounding advertisers, they can make their anti-black delusions into ammunition to attack us, which they do. But the LSU women's team won, and they did it in spectacular fashion. It wasn't even close. Iowa got stomped. It was a dominant defeat. So all the white media sports racists who were telling everyone how Caitlin Clark was the second coming, they look like the fools they are. Because if Caitlin Clark was such an awesome talent, then why was Angel Reese able to beat her so thoroughly? You can't claim to be the best unless you win. And Angel Reese won. Caitlin Clark didn't. And you can tell that burns these racist white sports writers live because they're seething right now. They absolutely hate it. 
they had convinced themselves that Iowa was going to win. At the very least, they convinced themselves that the black teams were going to lose. And here comes Angel Reese to be the dream killer. And that brings us to Keith Olbermann. Not exactly the first person that you would think of when it comes to the cabal of racist white sports writers, but uh, perhaps an asterisk needs to be put beside his name. He had what seemed to be a psychotic break the other day when he saw LSU's Angel Reese pointing at her finger before the end of the game saying, give me my ring. It was such an innocuous, harmless gesture, barely worth commenting on. Olbermann has always played the part of the white knight, pun intended, or at least he's presented himself that way, and always talked about how men should defer to women, how women ought not to be treated in a sexist manner, etc., etc. So what does Keith Olbermann the chivalrous do when he sees a young black woman merely gesture to give her her ring? He goes on Twitter and posts, what a effing idiot. Keith Olbermann spent a lot of years setting the frame for what MSNBC would become. He was also instrumental in bringing in talent from the now defunct Air America radio station. People like Cenk Uger and the Young Turks, and most notably, Rachel Maddow. Olbermann had spent about two decades at ESPN being a sportscaster, and when he went over to MSNBC, he struggled for a while to find his voice, to find his lane. He finally struck Pater when he began doing special comments about the Bush administration, saying what he really thought about them. Though it was his special comment about W's intentional failure to respond to Hurricane Katrina that really put Olbermann on the map. After that, he was undoubtedly the star in the network, and the network went in the direction he was choosing. But there was trouble in paradise. Keith Olbermann has always had something of a bad reputation among his co-workers. There were rumors that he had tried to get Chris Hayes fired. Olbermann denies this, though he doesn't deny that there's bad blood between him and Rachel Maddow and has been for over 10 years. Apparently, there was also tension and friction between him and other MSNBC anchors like Lawrence O'Donnell and, of course, various members of management. That's why Keith Olbermann got shown the door. This is the real reason why he was so eager to say something when Tiffany Cross got fired. Something that you'll notice about a lot of people from the dominant society is that they can be as solidly for the establishment as you can want, but when this particular organization or that entity does something against them, they have no problem pretending to take the side of black people, especially if they think an accusation of racism can harm that entity or organization. Keith Olbermann falls in that category. While his various criticisms of how MSNBC handles itself may be valid, it doesn't erase the fact that the main reason that he criticizes them is because they kicked him out. Now, Keith Olbermann has had a number of good takes over the years, which is why his despicable going in on Angel Reese came as a disgusting <laughs> surprise to so many people, because he has done some genuinely good work over the years, but then again, so did Rachel Maddow before she became MSNBC's $30 million woman. By the way, I remember Rachel Maddow when she was on Air America. She was one of the very few people who I genuinely felt was worth my time to listen to. At least I felt that way at the time. But that was almost 20 years ago. A lot's changed since then, and not for the better. However, when the water crisis went down in Flint, Michigan, Rachel was one of the few people in the white media to cover it more than just in passing. Rachel Maddow's done good work, to be fair, just like Olbermann had. But that was Rachel Maddow 1.0. Now she's Rachel 3.0, and the 3 stands for the $3 million she gets paid every month. Now her commentary is so boilerplate, so stale and trite, and so vapid that it's only good for putting you to sleep. 
though that is a fair sight better than Keith Oberman's recent garbage hot takes. Oberman is in despair, and with good reason. He kept butting heads with MSNBC President Phil Griffin until he finally fired Oberman. Oberman then washed up at Al Gore's little TV experiment, current TV, which looked as low rent as it was low IQ. He got canned from that one, too. In the end, he wound up crawling back to ESPN, and then, due to budget cuts, he got axed and hasn't had a show since. And by Oberman's own admission, he's been trying. He tried for two solid years trying to get MSNBC to take him back. When Rachel Maddow announced that she was stepping away from her weekday show schedule, Oberman hoped that he had finally found his opening to get back into the network. But according to Oberman himself, Rachel Maddow personally vetoed bringing him back. He claims that he had given an invitation to her to be a producer for his renewed show and that she was actually turning down an F-ton of money. Well, apparently you couldn't pay Rachel Maddow to work with Keith Oberman again. Gee, I wonder why. The rap reported that Keith Oberman has a reputation for being notoriously difficult to deal with. Other network executives feel the same way about him. And on top of that, even after all the head-butting that he's done over the years, he's never moderated. Keith Oberman has had a number of rotten takes before now. He infamously called the students at Penn State pitiful when a Penn State student sent him a link about their annual fundraiser for pediatric cancer. I suppose Penn State's motto is we are because that's what the student put in her tweet. Apparently, Oberman, who seems to always be looking for someone he can go off on, decided to show how clever he thought he was by responding to the tweet with the word pitiful, as if he was finishing the sentence, we are pitiful. Penn alumni objected to Oberman's unwarranted attacks on the students, and even the school's director of student television had to chime in asking why ESPN is allowing him to flame war with college kids and act like an angry teenager. This is how he reacts to an invitation to help out with pediatric cancer. Keep in mind, Keith Olbermann was in his 50s when this incident happened, but still acting and talking like a 13-year-old with no adult supervision. And obviously, he hasn't matured. ESPN <laughs> suspended him for that stunt, and he posted a so-called apology, which everyone knew he didn't mean. He was probably told he better do it or he's out. Keith Olbermann has been canned many times because he acts like Alec Baldwin constantly looking for someone he can yell at or vent his rage on. And now with this latest stunt, he's put himself in the same shameful category as Skip Bayless and Don Imus. Except in the case of Don Imus, when he got in trouble for his racist remarks of the Rutgers women's basketball team, at least the wrinkled up racist had the good sense to pretend to be contrite afterwards. Keith Olbermann hasn't even done that much. Even having Shaquille O'Neal call him out on Twitter wasn't enough for Keith Olbermann to take a hint. Black people are the litmus test for whether somebody is a racist, or in the case of Olbermann, has racist tendencies. Let a black person correct them, challenge them, or do something they don't like, and see how they react. See, Keith Olbermann's problem is he's just like David Simon or Bill Maher, white so-called liberals who think that by not using the N-word, or by occasionally saying something halfway sympathetic regarding black people or about the black struggle, that that gives them the right to bestow blanket amnesty on themselves for anything they say about a black person, no matter how vile. Because, hey, they can't be racist. Didn't you see Oberman rip W for his failure to respond to Katrina? Didn't you see how he stuck up for Tiffany Cross? That's the code of ethics at work here. They're playing a rhetorical white media game. 
go ahead and say the occasional somewhat sympathetic thing about a black person. Why? Just pretend like you're sticking up for black people every once in a while, and now you'll have a pass, you'll have carte blanche to just go in on black people as much as you want to. Because, hey, you gave yourself cover. Keith Olbermann has a good television voice, and he writes good copy occasionally. But he seems to think that because he made good money being a newscaster, that that meant he walks on water. And he doesn't. Olbermann's track record of blowing every chance he's ever been given explains why he posted that podcast purporting to stick up for Tiffany Cross. He didn't give a rip about her. He didn't even know her. But he did see a chance to take the Shea Butter Trigger <coughs> outrage and try to capitalize on it. In that podcast, he started off lamenting that Cross got crossed out, and then he immediately went into a long, rambling rant, grinding axes about his old grudges with Rachel Maddow, saying that she was so broke when he first brought her to MSNBC she didn't even have cab fare, and how he thought that Chris Hayes has really low ratings. Now, he couldn't say that Lawrence O'Donnell was broke. I, by the way, have no love or respect for Lawrence O'Donnell. So instead, Oberman said that Lawrence was conniving against him. Gee, seems like there's nobody at MSNBC that he has any regard for at all. Drama, infighting, acrimony, turmoil, they seem to follow him wherever he goes. So this is the guy who admits that he doesn't know anything about hoops, but then out of nowhere decides to post a profane tweet calling a college kid an effing idiot. I can't think of when he's gotten so personal with another athlete in any arena. Certainly not with a white one. Sure, he's had some colorful language for some Bush administration officials, but never for a college kid. And the fact that he didn't even bother to do the slightest of research on the situation that he was choosing to comment on, well, it just goes to show that the white right aren't the only ones who have a bad habit of talking about things they know absolutely nothing about. And rather than apologize, Olbermann chose to whitesplain, and that's the part that shows his true colors. It was not just that stupid, asinine, belligerent tweet that made it where this guy is certified racist sympathizer. The problem is how he responded to it. There's no ESPN to force him to give an apology on this one, so he's not. At this point, though, I think Keith Oberman has resigned himself to his fate. He's said as much that there's no chance of him coming back to MSNBC. He's 64 now, closer to retirement age than anything else. No network who picks him up would do it with a 10 or even 5-year deal. Olbermann's not a guy who you can build a network around. He's too old. So I guess he figures since there's no point in trying to tone down his behavior, there's no benefit that he can get from it, he might as well just be who he is. And that's what he's showing everyone. Given his track record, I'm not going to say that Keith Olbermann is necessarily a full-blown racist, but it was not just his bizarre and peculiar outburst at a black girl that was disgusting. It was the fact that he didn't even have the integrity to apologize afterwards. Because he's not sorry. There's no ESPN holding a pink slip over his head this time. And he has no hope of getting on with any other network, so why should he pretend to be sorry for actions that he's not sorry for? The best that he was willing to do was to say, oh, well, if Caitlin Clark did that, then they're both wrong. As if his uncontrollable profane outburst at a black girl was the result of him just being so stricken with the fact that what he sees as the norms and mores of good sportsmanship were being trampled upon. But if he truly believes that they were both wrong, gee, he didn't seem to have any curse words for Caitlin Clark. So any one of the Shea Butter buffoons who thought that Keith Olbermann's podcast about Tiffany Cross meant that he genuinely had nothing against black women, what do you say now? But the dumb does not fall far from the tree because not to be outdone, the Biden White House couldn't help but get involved. 
The first crone, Joe Biden, said she wanted to invite the Iowa team to the White House. She actually said that. She said that she had been in the championship game and she supported the Iowa team, who just so happens to be almost entirely white, though I'm sure that's just a coincidence. So since the team she wanted to win lost, she's now telling everyone that she thinks they ought to be invited to the White House. That suggestion was so ridiculous, even Caitlin Clark herself had to say, LSU should be the only ones who go to the White House. The LSU women's team are disgusted with Jill Biden's unprecedented disrespect yeah, towards them, right. and rightly so. No, Reese herself that's said that's she's not going, and racist. that would be the proper response to this. They should, as a team, announce that they reject the White House's invitation to visit because of Jill Biden. The white girl said They're in a position to impose consequences for this high-profile began to spread the last couple of days, she had one of her press secretaries come out and give an empty, meaningless, clearly insincere word salad about applauding all women athletes and Jill Biden looking forward to celebrating LSU at the White House. Gee, that sounds just like Oberman's white splaining about, well, both of them are wrong. Except Jill Biden didn't applaud all women athletes. She only applauded the white ones. Jill Biden has offered no apology. Though even if she did, it wouldn't be worth the breath she used to give it. Jill Biden is vile, just like her husband. She didn't offer an apology to the LSU women's team. Not even her press secretary did. And we know better than to accept some non-apology apology. Jill Biden herself should have been the one to publicly and personally do a mea culpa on this. Instead, she chose to hide behind her front woman, which is what racists and liars do when they don't want to have to say something. They get one of their stooges to do it for them. However, I've been amused to see that people have been reminding Jill Biden that Donald Trump came in second in the election, so shouldn't she be inviting him to the White House? Doesn't he deserve to be there as much as Biden? Because after all, we're recognizing all participants now, right? This is her doing the athletic equivalent of all lives matter. That's supposed to be her cleaning up her mess. For all you Biden bots out there, all you Negroes who made excuses for voting for him, this is what you voted for. The white media praised black women for turning out numbers to support Biden. Black women put Biden in the White House, they said. Well, we warned you that there would be no gratitude for this. We told you that the level of disrespect from Biden would only go up as a result of voting him into office, and here it is. When you reward someone for abusing you, then what you get is more abuse. Tell me, how is this any different than what you would expect from, say, Donald Trump and Melania if they were still in the White House? We all know Trump is racist, and that if Melania was still the first skank, she would be congratulating the Iowa team, too. And Joe Biden has done the same thing as them. So all you clowns who said that Biden was going to be different, why have you all been so quiet for the last two and a half years? We've been chronicling the constant disrespect for this man and his refusals to do anything for black people, and now we can add his wife to that list. Not that it's any kind of surprise. Well, I've got news for Jill Biden and the rest of the heartbroken haters out there in the white media. If the Iowa women's basketball team was so great, then why did they lose? And why did they lose by such a definitive number? All that they proved is that the old biblical saying is true. A haughty spirit before a fall and pride goeth before destruction. Caitlin Clark was the one who was celebrating too early. Angel Reese waited until she had the win in her hand before she started celebrating. LSU played with class and they played with verve. They played like they wanted to win. They played like athletes. Iowa simply played 
like they wanted to play. All these undercover bigots have gotten triggered because these black girls beat them at their own game, literally. Nothing matters except success. Nobody cares about the runners-up. That's what eats these racist white sports writers alive. They know that nobody will care about their racist hot takes about black athletes. They can throw all the racial dog whistles they want. All that matters is who wins, because that's what people ultimately remember. People will remember that LSU won a championship. And this time next year, they won't even remember who LSU beat. Because the ethos of capitalism is results-based. Winner take all. Well, LSU's women's basketball team took it all. And they earned every bit of it. And I'm glad the white racist sports writers are furious. These black athletes don't do their talking on a blog or a sports page or a sports show. The black athletes do their talking on the court, the gridiron, and the ring. That's why the black athletes are champions, and the racist white sports writers are grinding their crooked little teeth. As people get older, they tend to be very unguarded with what they say, and the reason why is nobody wants to spend their entire life not saying exactly what they think exactly the way that they think it. Now that he's up there in years, people are finding out exactly what kind of person Keith Olbermann is. And as for Keith Olbermann, he's finding out the answer to the age-old question, what takes a lifetime to build and only a moment to destroy? The answer, your reputation. Hell, at this point, Oberman might as well let it all hang out, act like the moron he is, and then refuse to admit that he was wrong afterwards. Why not? He has no job prospects, nobody's willing to work with him, and there's nothing he can do about it. At this point, he has nothing left to lose. He threw it all away a long time ago. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Cloud Walker Z, Reginald Caldwell, James Dinkins, Mouse, and Eric Bailey. Salute to them, and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Vice President Kamala Harris is in Africa this week for a three-country tour focused on economic development and security. Over nine days, she'll meet with political leaders in Ghana, Tanzania, and Zambia. Her travel follows other trips by senior officials to the continent as pressure to counter Chinese influence in the region grows. For America's first black female vice president, a trip with deep political and personal meaning. Kamala Harris placing flowers in a women's dungeon at the Cape Coast Castle in Ghana and walking through the door of no return, where millions of Africans were forced in chains onto ships bound for the Americas. So being here was... was immensely powerful. Speaking off script about the brutality of slavery, Harris challenged growing efforts back home to censor black history. It cannot be denied. It must be taught. History must be learned. So we see the great scramble for Africa is back on. And the U.S. is trying to make some insincere gestures to get some of those African leaders to stop letting China rip off the place. After all, that's the U.S.'s job. The U.S. has a half-brained charm offensive going on now, and who do they select to lead it? The least charming person in Washington, Kamala Harris. 
Last week, she staged a short-lived invasion of Africa. I mean, a diplomatic trip is what I meant to say. Now, for years, the U.S. has been lecturing Africa about how they need to have more abortions, and although Africans are dying from hunger, malnutrition, and all manner of armed conflicts, the U.S. has ignored all that and instead demanded that African nations prioritize encouraging alternative sexual lifestyles. So feeding Africa is not on the U.S.'s agenda. Stopping the external entities who fuel and fund the wars over there isn't on the U.S.'s agenda. Anything that might lead to more African births isn't on the U.S.'s agenda. So what is? Keeping Africa inside the tent when it comes to the war in Ukraine. Now, this is where some of my past video essays come in handy. I've told you about how on two separate occasions, black Americans, I'm talking about we who came out of slavery in the U.S., have had to do diplomacy on behalf of the U.S. on critical issues, particularly as it pertains to influencing African nations. In the 1940s, it was then head of the NAACP, Walter White, who had to go negotiate with African nations who were opposed to recognizing Israel in the U.N. Without their votes, there would have been no state of Israel. And then a few years after that, Ralph Bunch had to negotiate an end to the war between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Black Americans did that because there is simply no substitute for the moral legitimacy that we represent. So what do we have today? Kamala Harris has completed her trip to Africa. And of course, she took her handler, er, I mean husband, with her. This is a woman who primarily identifies as Asian, but when it's expedient, she'll claim to be black for a day, and the white media will play along. She tries to present herself as a daughter of a continent she knows nothing about, and as part of a people who she spent her life trying to distance herself from. She visited the slave dungeons and pretended to be emotional about it. Kamala Harris, whose mother is from India and her father from Jamaica, but now a woman who I can't recall ever acknowledging African ancestry to any appreciable degree, is now giving speeches at the slave fortresses and trying to sound like she's just so choked up about it. Well, at least this time, the U.S. didn't bring in some black folks to do any singing or anything. That would be humiliating and stupid. <laughs> Joining her were actors Idris Elba and Cheryl Lee Ralph, together to highlight the power of music to unite the global African oh, diaspora. And I know where my voice belongs. Never mind. Cheryl Lee Ralph. What is she even doing there? She's not a Biden administration official. She's not a diplomat. Hell, she's never even played one on TV. So why would Kamala Harris be eager to have her there? Maybe it's because she performed Lift Every Voice and Sing at the Super Bowl. Though I suspect it's probably because Cheryl Ralph is also a Jamaican immigrant, too. Her mother is Jamaican. Her father is a black American. She was born in the United States, but she describes herself as an immigrant child. And she has nothing good to say about black Americans. She instead prefers to refer to herself as a Jamaican immigrant, saying that everyone she saw in Jamaica was black. I hope so, since it is, you know, Jamaica. She also goes on to say, I was always able to see greatness. I would go to Jamaica and the doctor, the lawyer, the bishop, the minister, the politician, you name it. The person who owned the stores, all of the people that were running things and doing things, they were black people. That's all well and good, so where are all the black people in Jamaica who own the TV stations and movie studios there? Cheryl Ralph was only able to become a celebrity because she portrays a black American woman in the U.S. on a U.S. television show. Aren't there any great TV networks in Jamaica owned by black people? 
If she's going to brag about the place, I don't think that it's rude to ask for a comparison. She has a lot to say complimentary about a place that she chose not to live in, while completely ignoring the place where she actually did choose to live. She also was quoted as saying that after the murder of Ahmad Arbery, her son told her that protesting wasn't enough. We have to heal. Then she spouts some gibberish about walk good, some sort of Jamaican saying, she claims, which apparently means walk safe, be covered, and do yoga. I'm not kidding, that's what she said. So according to her, her son isn't talking about achieving justice, which requires these white supremacist killers be punished. Instead, he's talking about healing. Well, you can't heal when the people who injured you are still attacking you. You have to stop the attacks and then punish the attackers. But Cheryl Ralph doesn't say that because she's a tether trying to appeal to the white media. That's the audience that she wants to reach when she spouts nonsense like this. And she is auditioning heavy and letting them know that she doesn't identify with us. She's declared herself to be an immigrant. Black people get harmed in the U.S.? Well, at least black Americans anyway. She's not angry about it. Why? She's not going to cause any trouble. She just wants to heal. So now we know why Kamala Harris thought that this would be the perfect accessory for her trip. And that's the problem with people who decide that they want to be tethers. You got people who come here who make their living and their name in the world by passing themselves off as one of us. And then they turn right around and heap praise on everybody else they ever met. Except us. And that's deliberate. Oh, unless we forget Idris Elba was also in attendance. Again, he's not an American citizen. Why the world is he accompanying the vice president of the United States around? He became a star by pretending to be a black American on television, and he's not really from Africa either. At least he wasn't born there, though his mother was. So his presence is at least not a complete anomaly. Though, why did he have to show up for this trip? Because without us, he's not relevant. That's why. So this is who Kamala Harris took on her little day trip to Africa. A Ghanaian immigrant who lives in Britain and doesn't want to identify as black and a Jamaican immigrant living in the U.S. who doesn't want to identify it with us. This is going to be presented to the world as if this is who speaks for black Americans. This is the face of black America. See, the biggest problem with tethers isn't just that they eat off of other people's plates. It's that they have no loyalty to anything. They aren't loyal to the people who gave them a chance to prosper, and they're not even loyal to the home countries they claim to love. There's also another dimension to this. China's not the only international player that the U.S. wants to lure the Africans away from. With the war in Ukraine, the U.S. has been trying to get as much support against Putin as possible. But the Africans have been lukewarm in opposing the war. They say they don't like that the war is happening, they don't like Russia's invasion, but none of them is making any kind of contribution to the war effort against Putin. They wouldn't even vote in favor of the U.S.'s initiatives in Ukraine. As the Washington Post reported, the Africans have chosen to remain neutral because of the long-standing ties that they have between themselves and Russia, especially when it comes to foreign aid and food. But it goes well beyond that. You remember that explosion in Beirut three years ago? It happened because 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate were being stored at the port of Beirut. And why was all that explosive material even there? Because an explosives firm in Mozambique had wanted to buy it. The explosive material came from Batumi, Georgia, but the ship that transported it was owned by a Russian. The captain of the ship, Boris Prokoshev, is also Russian, as was a majority of the ship's crew. I cite this incident because it shows that the ties between Russia and Africa are significant. And this is why the U.S. sent Kamala Harris over there. 
It's just shameful, though, what happened, because neither Biden nor Harris is trying to do the Africans any good. But blame also falls on the Africans themselves. They welcomed Kamala Harris there with open arms. By the way, I didn't add the drums. This is the video from Warriors. She was lauded heavy by those corrupt leaders over there who all want some U.S. foreign aid, which their people will never see. We all know it's going to go directly to some Swiss bank account that these ten-pot tyrants have somewhere. In fact, one of the main things the African leaders have complained about are the billions of dollars in support the Ukraine's been getting. As the Washington Post put it, the African leaders are feeling resentment about how much Ukraine is getting from the U.S. Keep in mind, not one of these leaders is going to give one thin dime of aid to their own people, and none of them will mention the debt that's owed to black Americans, without whom Kamala Harris wouldn't be vice president and certainly wouldn't be touring Africa. But listen to how they talk about Kamala Harris. Zambia's leader described her as a daughter of our own country and that her arrival was like a homecoming. Maybe that's a veiled reference to the skin bleaching that's so popular over there, I don't know. The nation of Ghana claims to welcome back black people from the diaspora, but you wouldn't know about how they treat us when we get there. However, for Kamala Harris, the president of Ghana said, welcome home. So all these so-called leaders are just jockeying to see who can schmooze with the vice president and try to get themselves some of that sweet U.S. foreign aid money, which I'm sure will go toward education, healthcare, and infrastructure, and not immediately be deposited in the president's offshore bank account, where he'll spend it on lavish palaces for himself and no doubt a few European hookers. Part of this smells to me like a cheap attempt to give her some black cred. That's what it smells like. Like this is an image rehabilitation tour for Kamala Harris. Since black people in the U.S. keep mentioning that she identifies as Asian, here we have some African despots saying that she's come home. And they consider her to be a daughter of their own country. And they hope that we'll see this and decide to give her a pass for all the dirt she's done against us. By the way, Kamala probably shouldn't feel too special. When Angelina Jolie was in Africa 17 years ago, she gave birth to her first biological child in Namibia. The president of that country reportedly sent her a letter as a memento, and that letter allegedly said, you didn't just birth a child, but a new era for our new country. If we are the UN's baby, then you, as one of its greatest supporters, are among its founding mothers. Talk about laying it on thick. This white woman from the U.S. gave birth to a new era from Namibia? Really? So this white woman coming over there and having her child was a new era for an entire country? Never mind that as soon as she had her baby, she immediately got on the first thing spoken back to the U.S. and she uh, took her child with her. That new era came to an end pretty quick, didn't it? Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt used Africa to reinvent themselves. It became a kind of reputation laundry, especially for Angelina, taking her from her rather vapid, if not torrid, origins in the 90s to being a respectable and serious member of the creative Hollywood community, a real humanitarian and philanthrope. She got the kind of PR and credibility from her little safari that you simply can't buy, except that's exactly what she did. So while Kamala is probably feeling very clever with herself for being declared one of Africa's returning daughters, Angelina Jolie was called one of its founding mothers. I, for one, hope Kamala doesn't feel too bad when she finally realizes the praise that she got from those African leaders was all hollow. 
Those crooked leaders over there say that to all the girls. As for the crowds who are in attendance, I'm fully aware that given how these misleaders over there impoverish their own people, it's very easy for any ten horned tyrant to gather a quickie crowd together for a photo op. They do it for the British royal family all the time. But nonetheless, not one African leader has pointed out the way that Kamala Harris persecuted black Americans when she was attorney general. And I think that's a little bit important because if she takes part in oppressing black people here in the U.S., only an idiot would think that she won't do that to the Africans. Kamala Harris is attempting to bestow instant legitimacy on people who hate us, like Cheryl Ralph, and on self-interested clowns like Idris Elba. But she's also trying to give herself an image makeover as well if she can manage it. This is just another effort by three tethers in particular to try to establish themselves as being the new face of black America. This is going to be the official face of it now. Well, it's not going to work. We are not Tanzania or Ghana. We see through the games they play. Long after Biden gives these African leaders a couple million dollars and it promptly disappears into their numbered bank accounts in Zurich or the Caymans, we will still be here pursuing our interests. And those interests won't have anything to do with photo ops for a do-nothing administration. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Chaz, Sandra Bates, Gwendolyn Langston, Frederick Richburg, and David Green. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of